0: You are about to listen to a message from David Bendet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's desire is to see people lit on fire by God's love, His Word, and His presence. So prepare yourself to be inspired by the wind and the Word and get fired up about what God's doing today. The title of my message this morning for Father's Day, June 19, 2016, is identity discovered. Identity discovered. Jesus, our pattern. Jesus is our pattern. I mentioned a little bit ago that I've had three fathers. I had a, a father that was a blood father, and I had a stepfather that came into my life, and then ultimately I met the heavenly father. But the process of me discovering who I am as a son was a long one. I didn't get it instantly because the churches that I, that I was involved in when I gave my life to Christ were very institutionalized. And I was taught that if I wanted to know God and if I wanted to please God, then I needed to be obedient. And I needed to first walk by obedience and do everything that he told me to do and everything that the Bible says. And if I did that, he would be pleased with me. Now, there's half-truths to that. Even though those are some true statements, if you don't get another foundational truth first, you'll go through the religious motions. If you don't understand identity, which is my favorite message of all, then what happens is, is you get into work mode in the hopes of discovering, but more often than not, you're not satisfied and fulfilled and functioning out of who you're really called to be. So in most institutionalized churches, and in most of the churches that we grew up in, it goes something like this. This is the pattern. A sinner to a saint and a saint to a worker. A worker to a leader and a leader to a son. Sonship is after the work process. But in the kingdom, the pattern is sinner to a saint, saint to a son. If you don't get the understanding of sonship and who you are in Christ first, then all you'll see is religion and dysfunction and And you'll find yourself working hard without the breath and the wind of the spirit behind you because you're not doing out of confident love because you love God and you love people. You're doing it because you feel like you have to. And so many people have been identified to do something based on work, and their value has been based on work. And that's why so many people feel valued based on what you do, not who you are. But at Rock City Church, we value you based on who you are. And we realize that you discover who you are by what you're doing. We watch you and we examine you, but you aren't what you do. You do what you are. You aren't what you do. You do what we are. We've talked about this so many times. That's why here what the focus is is first, who are you? That's why we don't, we're not quick to promote people. I don't just write job descriptions and pay out salaries, though I could do that. I know business really, really well, and we have money in the bank to do it but I'll actually go with gaps in the ministry while I watch and discover. Again, our church is young, so I want to watch you. I want to see how you worship. I want to be in relationship with you, not for you to measure up, but to see if you're healthy and, and if you really know who you are in Christ because when you know who you are in Christ, then everything you do and the way you do it is a game changer. Okay, It's a game changer. And so for me, I found my value and my identity based on my work. So right after I got born again, I got involved in five different ministries. I was involved in public relations for for a Christian magazine. I was involved with the YWAM student campus ministry, leading people to Jesus every day and putting notches in my belt because I could get people saved like dropping flies. I was great at it. I'm a high influencer. And many times I think people just accepted Jesus just to get me to stop talking. (laughs) But the point is, is I was really good at it. And then I got right on the worship team right away. And people would tell me how great I was on percussion and they loved watching me and I felt so good and valued based on what I did. And I was taught that if I did my devotions and if I did everything God told me to do, then I would be accepted. But what happened when I didn't do it? What happened when I sinned? What happened when I fell short? I would think that God was mad at me or that I had disappointed him or that I didn't, you know, I didn't please him or I had let him down and I would beat myself up over it. And I want to tell you that that's not the way sonship and the kingdom is designed to work. It's not the way sonship and the kingdom is designed to work. You see, I'm far from perfect, and I know that. And the Bible makes it clear that if anybody says they're without sin, they're a liar. We're all a work in process. Now, that doesn't give me license to sin, and the things I once did, I don't do anymore because now I'm a changed person. I don't practice sin Anymore. I'm not a sin practicer. Now, if I do a double backflip into my sin, which I have done as a Christian, and I realize through conviction that it's not right, I say, God, I don't want it anymore, and that's the start. When somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor, I'm struggling with this sin, I realize they're already on the right path. Because the minute you start struggling and the minute you start saying, I don't want that anymore in my life, suddenly there's a conviction. Because prior to me knowing the Lord or wanting what God wanted, I had zero, nada, conviction about the way I was living my life. None. And you can't expect the world and somebody that doesn't know Jesus to have that same conviction. Nor can you get mad or angry at somebody in the world. It's almost, honestly, it's expected. Because they don't have the same conviction and spirit of Christ that you have. And Romans 8 says that if anybody doesn't have the spirit of God, they are not his. I know that we want to lay claim that everybody's a child of God, but the Bible makes it very clear that until you're born again, you're an orphan. So every one of us at one time were orphaned, even my own children. Now, if, they, if something were to happen to them, they would go to heaven because a child hasn't come to the place of making that decision for themselves. But in a sense, there's, a, there's an orphan, natural, carnal thing that still has to be dealt with in my children. Say, oh, children are so innocent. No, they're not. I never taught my son to hit his sister at one. I never taught him to rip legs off dolls. I never taught my daughter to be disobedient and tell us no and not listen and walk away when we're talking to her. She's three. You understand that everybody has to make the decision for themselves, but there's a process to do that, and Jesus himself would be the ultimate example. Now, I would have to learn that my way. Just as each of you have to learn it uniquely with the Lord, because coming to the place of identity and sonship must be revealed by the Father, not even through my preaching today. Now, I can persuade you, I can challenge you, I can be an example, I can tell you my story, but if you don't get the revelation for yourself, if you don't really genuinely come to the conclusion between you and the Lord of who he is and who you are, then it's not real. You're going through the religious motions. And religion will always let you down. Religion will fail you. Life is in family. Life is in patterns. Life is in fathers and sons and mamas and daughters and fathers and daughters. And family and community and building a house and us all fitting together as one. I guess it's crying baby time all at once. Sheesh. I got stereo babies. Does it actually bother me at all? In fact, I'm shocked I even heard that because... It's like ambient noise to me now. So, for those of you that don't know, we have two, two children, a daughter that's three and a half, and a son that'll be two on July 3rd, and then my wife is 22 weeks pregnant with another girl on the way. I'll have three under three at 46 years old. Now, I don't know anybody that's ever had three under three at 46. Do you? Anybody? You? I gotta talk to you after this service, man. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, when I was young, my dad, my blood father, left my mom and I when I was one, and my mom was working two jobs to make ends meet, which so many single single moms have to do. And in turn, I spent a lot of time at the babysitter. When I met my dad for the first time, my blood father, at twenty eight, he said, "You know, I didn't really want to have you." He said, I was riding high on my personal career, I was very successful, and I even asked your mom, I said, are you sure that you want to have him? And what I discovered when he told me that at 28 years old is that neglect and abandonment was spoken into my life. Now, I'm not putting blame on my mom, she had to work hard to take care of me. She was a single mother, and she was a hairdresser, so she worked another job in the evenings, and I spent a lot of time at the babysitter. But up until five years old, what I longed for and wanted more than anything was nourishment and personal relationship with a mother and a father. That's what every young child longs for and every young child needs. And so I had this neglect and this abandonment that was put into my life at a very, very young age, okay? Now, at five, I had a stepfather that came into my life, and I sure loved him so much. But he, again, also made a lot of mistakes. He had to work hard, and my mom and my stepfather split when I was 13 years old. And at an early age, I found myself being alone a lot. I found myself in small-town Missouri, and the things that were happening with my father and the way he was raising me, and even some things that happened with my mom, caused me to run to the things of this world to find pleasure and to find gratification and to make sure that I would not be neglected again. That's a pattern called fear, shame, and control. Now, I don't I don't question the love that my mom and my dad, my stepdad, had for me. That's not what it is, nor do I put any blame on them. She has to take responsibility for it, but she wasn't a horrible mother. My mom loved me. She cared deeply for me, but there was something broken and missing inside of me that ultimately only the Heavenly, Heavenly Father could fix. And the case for so many of you, whether you... Whether you were raised in a good home or not in a good home, regardless of what your upbringing was, I can assure you that our earthly parents can never fully provide what the Heavenly Father can provide, ever, okay? And that's why all of us must come to the place of being born again and giving our lives to Jesus Christ. And so what happened to me was this pattern of feeling like I had to measure up and perform, I was a state champion wrestler. I was an honor roll graduate, and I was, I was raised in a way of performing to get a reward. I was paid for good grades. I was rewarded when I did things good, so I worked harder to be successful so that I could be accepted, and it became a pattern that I took right into my relationship with the Lord, and so when I came to know Jesus, what happened was is anytime I did, because there's this process of growth. Like I said last week, you may have a full-grown Jesus living inside of you when you get born again, but you don't have full-grown fruit living inside of you. Fruit takes time. Fruit must be cultivated. That's why the Bible says when you get born again, you are a baby in Christ. You're an infant. You must grow to maturity and stature. You're a little sapling plant or a seed that has to be nurtured to come out of the ground. And then over time, you become a mighty tree to bear great fruit. Okay? So it takes time. It would take time, but I didn't realize that, and I didn't recognize that, and I was on a fast track of feeling like if I didn't do what God wanted me to do, I disappointed him, and I'd live in this repentance, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, all the time stage. Some of you know what I'm talking about. God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Like a week, I would repent for something. Instead of understanding the scripture says that as far as the east is from the west, he's removed my my sin and the fact that I was convicted by it, he had me in process and he loved me as a son and he approved me and it was in the place of identity and his delight that I could be set free, not religious duty. Now I'm talking to somebody right now because you were raised in religious duty. You were raised in this mindset. If you were good enough and you were obedient and you behaved and you did everything right, then God would be happy with you. And if you didn't, you felt like you'd let him down. What I want you to know is that Jesus is our ultimate role model and example. He's the one that shows us the pattern of identity, and he was our living example, and he still lives today. But what he did on earth and the way that he walked out his life is our roadmap of how we're to walk out our life. He's the ultimate example for us. Now, I just jotted down a few notes. This is not an exhaustive list of what the characteristics of a son are. The characteristics of a son. Sons are born into the family, or they're adopted. Sons bear the family name. Sons represent and honor their father. Sons are obedient to all their father desires and asks of them. And sons reproduce sons and daughters, hence grandchildren and grandchildren. And in the spiritual world, we produce spiritual sons and daughters. But I thought to myself, you know, I understand this because I'm born again, and I know the Heavenly Father, and I know my identity But in the natural, I thought to myself, most people, after their 20s or 30s, don't think to themselves, how can I please my dad? (laughs) I mean, we've moved on, right? Most people don't think to themselves, whatever my father tells me to do, I'm going to do. But yet, that's how we are supposed to live our lives with the Heavenly Father. And what the Lord showed me is that so much of the pattern on earth has been broken, now, my children, what I hope and pray for more than anything is that my children, when they get older, will really want to honor me, and that when I do ask them to do things or do, when I do speak wisdom into their life, that they will listen, and that they will reflect and represent the Bendett name well. And the best I can do is show them wild, extravagant love and empowerment and freedom and the beauty of who the Lord is and what it means to be a great father. That's the best way that I can do that. And my hope and my prayer is that they'll always represent the Bendet line well and honor my, my wife and their mom and honor me in the way that they're supposed to. Okay. Now, I know it doesn't always happen because children have freedom of choice and the free will, and many of you did the best, and you did that, and they got sideways. But here's what I know and believe, that even though I got sideways and got into drugs and went to prison and all these things that happened to me, that God rescued me. And ultimately, I came back full circle to remember even the love and the kindness that my mom brought, even in her imperfection and what my dad did in so many ways right, okay? Now, imagine when you're on fire for Jesus. Imagine if you can break the cycle of dysfunction in your own family line and what your parents failed in. Imagine if you can succeed and do it right. Because Jesus, when he was talking about loving people, even the tax collectors and those that treat you poorly, he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So you can walk in perfect love for each other. I really believe that. I may not be perfect in myself and I may make mistakes, but I really believe I can have a perfect love for my wife and my children and my mom and all of you. I believe that. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have issues in my life and be, the, you know, I may fail you. He'll never fail you. But I sure want to try my best to never fail you. And I want to love you the way he's loved me. But if you don't get a revelation of how he loves you, how are you ever going to love someone else? So three things make a man. Three things make a man. There are son first. They learn how to be a father and a husband. Jesus is a son. Jesus is the is a father, and Jesus is the bridegroom. So we're sons, we're fathers, and we're husbands. And today I'm focusing on sonship because Jesus had to learn what it means to be a son. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus always know that he was the son of God? Did Jesus always know who he was? Well, last service, I had some different answers, and some of you are being quiet, and you may not know. Some have said no, and some people say yes. Well, I believe that Jesus did not know who he was in the beginning. I believe that Jesus would have to learn it through the process of discovery, just like we do. I believe that Jesus would have to figure it out. He, be, he was a baby, and as a baby... He would grow. It wasn't like, man, at one and a half, he suddenly learned how to talk, and he was preaching scriptures and knew who he was. Now, who received the most clear and precise prophetic words about Jesus in the Bible? It wasn't Isaiah. It wasn't Jeremiah, though they had awesome revelations about the Messiah. No one got the most specifics about who Jesus would be like his parents, Joseph and Mary, did. In fact, you want to talk about explicit, clear angels, visitations, dreams, all the way down to his very name, what he would do, his identity. I mean, the clearest picture. So parents, when you're bridled by Christ and know who you are in Jesus, can actually get downloads of revelations for your own children, just like Joseph and Mary did. Okay, But I'm going to show you in just a little while that when Jesus began to discover who he was, that Mary kept it in her heart. I'm sure that they were encouraging him as he grew older. I'm sure they were speaking into his identity. But I don't know that they were saying, now you're the son of God, Jesus. You know, come on, what are you doing? You're five. You should know better. You're the son of God. See, there's still the pattern of discovery for ourselves that everybody must go through. And Jesus, to identify with humanity and identify with you, would also have to go through the process of discovery. And so I'm going to show you that. If you didn't agree with my statement that Jesus didn't always know, just follow me and I'm going to show it to you in scripture, all right? Aside from Jesus's birth, there are only a few things that we know about Jesus before the age of 30. One, we know that Jesus consistently went to the temple to worship with his family. We know that he and his family were honorable to God's commandments and the Torah as Jews. We know that at the age of 12, Jesus would make the greatest discovery of his life Thus far, and I want to show that to you. In the Hebrew culture, in the Jewish culture, a child becomes a man at the age of 12. Now, that's kind of strange for us to fathom in our culture, but at the age of 12 is when they actually get promoted into manhood. Now, they still have a lot of growing to do, which we all know. They're still adolescents and they still have to learn, but at 12, Jesus would make a discovery that would have to happen in order for him to walk out the next 18 years of his life. So all through his teenage years and his young adult years, all the way till 30, Jesus would have to have some sort of understanding of who he was, but didn't necessarily have the full commissioning of it. And I want to show that to you. And I'm going to show you something very profound that maybe you've never thought of in the scriptures. And we're going to start at Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Luke 2, 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So it's Passover, they're in Jerusalem. And when he was 12, so Jesus is 12, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days as they, re- as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. Now, the term in the Greek for linger behind is hupomeno. It's different than hupostasis. Hupostasis is the word submit, and it means to set under, or it means evident. It's a firm foundation. That's what faith is. But hupomeno means to to remain under. It means the same word for abiding in the Greek. And so when Jesus went to the temple as he'd been going his whole life, this time at 12, something happened, and he said, I'm going to stay here and abide. I'm going to remain in this place. And I believe it was the Holy Spirit pulling and tugging on Jesus' heart so that he could get a discovery and a revelation in the temple about himself. Now watch this. Watch this, okay? So, and Joseph and his mother didn't know that he'd stayed behind. Verse 44, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So they're gone for a day. They look among their family, can't find him. So when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was after three days, they found him in the temple. Now, what was Jesus doing? He was sitting in the midst of the teacher's, listening to them and asking them questions. That's the first thing Jesus was doing. He was listening and asking questions. That is the first step in the process of discovery. Which is why I teach you about hearing God's voice more than anything. Because one word from heaven will change your life. You've got to stop just leaning on the preacher's word. You've got to start hearing God's word about who you are and your identity. And if I can get you to listen and ask questions, which is the foundational principle of discipleship. Discipleship is, tell me more about that. Where is that in the Bible? You know what? I need to water that word you said more. That was really powerful. I'm going to go home and take more time, and I'm going to ask God questions. I ask the Lord questions all the time, and you've got to find somebody that you can listen to and that you can ask questions. And so Jesus is sitting in the temple, listening to the teachers and the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's asking them questions. Verse 47. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And I'm going to show you why. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And verse 49, and he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And verse 50, they didn't understand the statement which he had spoken to him. Now I'm going to break this down for you the way I believe this whole thing panned out. I'm going to tell you a story. They go to the temple, Jesus is 12. He's been going his whole life. It's like coming to church, you're raised in church. But this time when he goes, something starts to happen, he feels something in his heart, and he decides, "I'm going to stay here. I'm going to, And actually, if you look up the word even more, it means to forcefully make a place of where you're going to be. And so he let his parents go and decided he's going to stay there, and the parents just so happened to neglect and forget where he was. It's all a divine setup. While he's there, he's listening to the people in the temple. And what are they talking about? It's Passover. Now, the Bible says that Jesus is the Passover lamb. But they're sitting there listening, and I guarantee you they were talking about the Messiah. And they probably said, and the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And Jesus goes, wait a minute. I was born in Bethlehem. And then they go on to say how that they'll go to Egypt and come back to Nazareth. And then he goes, wait a minute, my parents moved me to Nazareth. And then they're talking about how the virgin Mary will have a child. And he goes, wait a minute, I've heard my mom and dad talking about how she was a virgin when I was born. And my mom's name's Mary. Mary. And from the line of David, he goes, wait a minute, I come from the line of David. And suddenly Jesus is listening and he's asked questions. Wait a minute. Did, what, does it say that, that uh, the dad will be a carpenter? Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. Does it say that he'll be a deliverer? That's what my name means. I mean, I don't know how it all went down, but what I do know is Jesus is sitting there listening and asking questions, and then suddenly he starts making statements. He says, no, wait a minute, it didn't go down like that. He says, actually, it was this, this, and this, because it's his life. And suddenly they're astounded at what he's saying, and then here comes the parents, follow me here. I'm gonna teach you something you've never known before, I guarantee it. The parents come, and I'll paraphrase it, Jesus, what? why have you done this? We're anxious. We're nervous. Why did, you, why did you do this? Your father and I. And Jesus goes to himself, what did they just say? Your father and I, and let me tell you why. If you actually read the statement, I must be about my father's business, in the original Greek, it's an elliptical scripture. How many of you know what an elliptical scripture is? No one in this room. An elliptical scripture means, in a sense, circular, that starts at one spot and ends at some spot, but you don't know the middle. An elliptical scripture is a dot, dot, dot. Okay? It means that it starts at a spot, you don't know the middle, and it ends at a spot. So here's what the original, and I researched this, and you can do the same. Here is what the original Greek writing says. I must be in the dot, 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 my father. I must be in the dot, 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 my father. And Jesus, in that moment, would have an epiphany. It goes something like this. Hey, Jesus. He's sitting right here. Hey, Jesus, your father and I, and he goes, he's been listening to the scribes. He's been connecting the dots. You know, I've taught this. Our whole life is nothing but a connect the dot. If you can understand God has you in a dot now and wants to connect you to a dot coming, that everything can be orchestrated by God and to build a beautiful picture and that your life right now is setting you up for what's to come, it'll help you in the season you're in. Now follow me. They say your father, and he's been listening to the scribes and he's realizing they're talking about himself. And he says... I must be in the, my father. Now, I like the I must be about my father's business. Of course, that's fun. But really what happened to Jesus was he had an epiphany. And he recognized and realized. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus didn't have dreams and he didn't have inklings along the way, especially from his parents. They had understanding, and I bet they were speaking destiny. See, at 12 years old, I had the most profound dream of my life, and I dream a lot, but I'll never forget this dream that I had when I was 12. When I was 12, I had this dream that I was being chased by monsters, and they were chasing me, and I was running as fast as I could, and I ran through a picture window into a restaurant, and in the restaurant, was, it was a banqueting room, and there were round tables with white linen and fine china on the tables. And I was running, and I stepped into the banqueting room. I stopped, raised my hands, and said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to stop. Now, I didn't know Jesus, but I remember saying it in my dream. I command you to stop. And instantly, all the the flatware, the plates, and the china, and the silverware all stood up on end. And suddenly, the monsters were paralyzed, and my hair stood up, and I woke up instantly. I was 12. Okay? Okay? Now, I bet you that Jesus was having dreams like that and getting some kind of inklings along the way, but it was at 12 years old in the promotion of manhood that Jesus would get the full understanding, not even the full understanding, but a a sense and understanding of who he was as the son of God. Now, I'm going to keep developing this, so watch this. His parents didn't understand it. His parents didn't have an understanding of what he was saying because Jesus would get the ultimate revelation for himself. This is just the beginning of incredible revelation that Jesus would get. And it would be the epiphany. How many of you know what an epiphany is? An epiphany is a sudden revelation or realization about something. And Jesus would get an epiphany of who he was. And why would it be important that it happened at 12? Because Jesus had another 18 years to go before he'd step on the scene So for another 18 years, now I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a teenager or you've ever had a young adult in their early 20s, it can be really difficult and challenging. I was a youth pastor for five years of 100 high school students. Five years I had 100 high school students, okay? These are the formative years. These are the years of growing, and Jesus would have to grow in wisdom and stature. So let's go to verse 51, This is all we really know for the next 18 years of Jesus' life. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. So Mary was keeping all these things of identity and what Jesus said in her heart. And Jesus did what? He increased in wisdom and stature and in the favor with God and men. Jesus would have to grow. Jesus would have to grow in his identity. Jesus would have to learn what it means to be a man and to overcome the same struggles and temptations. The only thing that was different between us and Jesus is that he didn't sin, and of course, he got the revelation of who he was as the son of God. Jesus was sinless, but he still faced every struggle, and he still had to discover just like we discover. All of us have to discover who we are in Christ in our identity, and so would Jesus have to discover who he was. And so it says that he increased in wisdom and stature. Just a fun fact, the word wisdom in the Greek is the name Sophia, okay? And it means to have wisdom either, worldly or, either heavenly or worldly. And so Jesus would learn the principles of this world. I mean, think of how much teaching that Jesus did in parables about the things of this world. So Jesus would have to learn and discover. And after he realized and he said, I must be in the... And he goes, oh, my father, I bet you that now while he's working with stone and he's working with wood and he's building, I bet the Lord is teaching him about himself and he's growing in what? Wisdom and stature. Now, the word stature means to mature. Stature means to have a favorable reputation and a good report in maturity among the people. See, if Jesus was a wild, crazy party, whatever, then when he stepped onto the scene, he wouldn't have had the same credibility. But Jesus grew in wisdom and he grew in stature. And these would be the most critical years of his life to develop confidence in who he was. So that when his official commissioning came at 30 and he stepped onto the scene, there didn't have to be any more discovery. It's commission, you got three years, rock this world. So up until 30, it was wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. Now let me help you understand what favor with God and man means. Favor, the word favor means to be gracious, okay? It means divinely, the divine influence of the heart, okay? It means the divine influence of the heart. And so Jesus would learn about graciousness and have an attitude of gratitude and love and worship towards his father and towards you. He had to develop in his love for God's people, his own people. And as he discovered who he was, now he said, this is what I came for. This is my identity. This is my nature. And God gave him favor with himself and with people. And that's why in our ministry, we must have a confidence in who God's called us to be And we must love God's people and love his bride above all else. This is way more than my ministry and how good I'm going to be and all me. This is about you. And ministry is ultimately about giving it away to God's people. And so now I have favor on my life before God and man. And that's what God wants you to have. So you grow in that. And young adults and teenagers need to get you need to get it early on, but even if you didn't and you give your life to Christ later in life, let's say you're 40 or 50, understand this is the spiritual process. That when you give your life to Christ, you're a sapling plant coming out, and now you discover and learn your identity first in who you are. Hence the title of my message, Identity Discovered. And Jesus is our, past, is our, is our example. He's our pattern. In order for Jesus to truly begin his ministry at age 30, he'd have to have a commissioning service. So when the time finally comes that you're going to be promoted into what it is that you're called to do, God commissions you. He commissions you through an anointing. He commissions you through a promotion. God is the one that promotes you wherever you're at. And don't think ministry just in the church context because ministry is in every area of your life. You're in full-time ministry no matter where you are. You're in full-time ministry in the marketplace or in the church. But you still need to get your commissioning. Every single one of you must be commissioned to do what God's called you to do. Now, don't think I gave you a promotion and a title and money. You want to know how all of us get commissioned? The exact same way that Jesus would get commissioned. So let's look at Jesus' commissioning service at 30 years old. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. When he had been baptized... Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This would be Jesus' commissioning service. Now why would Jesus have to be baptized? Isn't baptism a dying to the old Jew Going down, burying the old Jew in a picture of death, burial, and resurrection, and letting go of the old nature of who you were, Jesus was not born into sin like every one of us were. He was born of a virgin. That's why being born of a virgin was so critical, because he didn't have the sin carnal nature that all of us did. But he would still have to fulfill all righteousness. So if you read right before this scripture, it says that it, because John the Baptist didn't want to baptize Jesus, but Jesus said it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And what does that mean? In order to fulfill all righteousness and for him to be the example that we all need so that we could understand we have to do it, Jesus would have to do it. And it doesn't mean he had sin, but what it does mean is that Jesus would still go down. The boy that had some ideas and had some understandings, he would still go down and he believed it, but when he would come up, now he would be fully promoted because the, the, the windows of heaven would open John 1:8 says that John the Baptist says behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so now it's announced Messiah commissioning service who he was but second of all I want you to catch this go back to verse 16 when he had been baptized Jesus immediately came up out of the water and behold the heavens were open and he saw everybody say he saw Now, I like this word because, you know, I like seeing and hearing. The word saw here in the Greek is eidō, E-I-D-O. And this word means to behold and be made aware. It's the same word in John chapter 3 when it says you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. It means you have no awareness of the greatness of God and his kingdom until you're born again. That means to be made aware. I have people tell me all the time, I say, how'd you find Rock City Church? They tell me, man, I drove by it every week. I was going home. I live in the bluff. I live on the island. You know, I was going to the beach. Every time I go to the beach, I see Rock City. And finally, something just propelled me, and I came in, and I couldn't believe it. Now, not everybody stays, but honestly, most people that are drawn here do stay. And they go, wow, I walked into this church, and man, the worship and the people, and I just loved it so much they were made aware of what Rock City was. But in a greater context, when you get born again, you're made aware. And that's different than Matthew 5, 18, which says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. That word for see is where we get the word ophthalmology. And that means to behold with clarity. 2020, perfect. I'm looking at my wife right now. I'm not just aware that she's here. I'm beholding her. There are two different words for see. So when Jesus comes out of the water, he's made aware now, and suddenly the heavens are opened, and what happens? Next verse. Well, wait. What happens? He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Why a dove and not a chariot? Why a dove and not a horseman? Why a dove and not a tiger or a lion? Because the dove would be the symbolic picture of the prince of peace that was prophesied in the Bible. And so this would confirm to him and to others of who he was. And how did the, what did the spirit do upon him? It lit him up. A lighting. So how do you get lit up? The Holy Spirit comes upon you like a dove. That's why you got to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. You get born again, you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, and he just lights you up. Of course, you don't have to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. you still be born again, and you still have the Spirit of Christ in you. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, what does it do? lights you. He alights you. So he lights you up. Next verse. And suddenly, what happened? A phone call. A phone call came. The word for voice in the Greek is the word phone. P-H-O-N-E. The root word of phone is phos, and it means fire or light. So suddenly the heavens are open. Here comes the Holy Spirit alighting upon him, and now the Father speaks. A phone call comes, and he says something. The word for say in the Greek is the word lego, L-E-G-O, and here's what that word means. That word means to set a discourse or to put in order, okay? How does God arrange, how did God create the world and arrange your life? He says something. He speaks a word into your life. Jesus would now get the discourse of his life. And I want you to notice it doesn't say this. Here's what it doesn't say. You are my beloved son. That's going to change the nations, go all over the world. I got a great ministry for you. Or the voice says, man, I have anointed you. You got so much going on for you. Oh, man, what you're going to do, all these great promises, man, prophecies fulfilled. No. The voice says, sets a discourse of sonship and identity And the better way that this should read is instead of saying, in whom I'm well pleased, it should say, in whom is my delight. Because if you're not careful, you'll read this in, in he's measured up for me. How has he measured up? His ministry's just starting. He's just been a son. So the point is, is that God is delight. The the understanding of well pleased means in whom I have marked, in whom I love, in whom I'm delighted with. So, you've got to understand first, more than anything, before you do anything, that God delights in you now. Stop thinking that you have to measure up and perform or get into ministry or do something more. You can just be a mom or a dad or a person that works in the marketplace and you are valued and marked the way that you are right now. You're a, you're a royal priesthood. If you're born again, you're sons and daughters of the living God and you're in a king, you're kings and priests. So Jesus would get the most foundational truth because this is the pattern for our life. And if you haven't heard God tell you that, he's, that you are a son in whom he's well pleased, then everything else that you do will be broken. So like a Lego piece, here's how the Lord works. He says, Jesus, you are my master Lego. You're the cornerstone Lego. And I'm gonna, because every time, if you look up say how many times God says something When God says something to you, what he's doing is he's positioning you, and he says something about you, and you, and you, and you, and then what he does is he takes you as a Lego piece, and you as a Lego piece, and he starts creating a masterpiece, but guess who the cornerstone Lego piece is? I'm using Legos because that's the Greek word, and it means he set a discourse, And many of you are saying, God, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I feel if you are feeling less than and you are feeling empty and you're not satisfied in your walk with Christ, then something, the most vital piece is missing because you're looking for value in what you're going to do. And it is important that you do do something because if you don't, you'll become impotent in the spirit. Don't get me wrong. But if you don't get the foundation, if I'm cherished and loved, listen, I'm extravagant here. And it's not now because you watch me and I want to get your accolades. Because I've had years and years of no accolades. I've had years and years where God stripped the drums and percussion from me when I went to a church, my last church, where that pastor said, I don't want you to play percussion. And God used that to strip me out of finding any of my identity and value in what I do. It's not whether I preached a good message or not. It's not whether I played so great or not. When I walk in here, I'm not moved by what you do and don't do or even by how I feel. Because so many times I walk here and I don't feel good. I was so sick last week and I preached and I came in and I gave the Lord the best that I had to give. Because I come to the spot where I'm, I'm so in love with him and my identity is him and he's done so much inside of me. I'm his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. So now I see you that way. And I see that he's pleased with you. You say, well, I don't feel like he's pleased with me because my life and this and that. Look, you got to get the spirit of Christ inside of you and get born again so you can understand the benefits of who he is. And the best benefit is identity and the best benefit is sonship. And I'm going to close with this scripture. Pull this scripture up on the screen. John chapter 1, verse 12. I know this scripture so well, and I've researched it and broke it down. I'm going to break it down for you. John 1, 12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Okay. Now, salvation is a complete free gift. Look at the next verse, verse 13. It's not by, the, by blood, flesh and blood. Look at the verse. It's not by the will of man. It's not by the will of flesh. You didn't deserve it. You can't earn it. There's nothing that you could do to earn your salvation. But you still have an obligation. And that obligation is to receive it and believe it. You've still got to receive it. Not everybody is a child of God. Romans 8 makes it clear. Okay, You've got to be born again. Otherwise, we're orphaned. But when you, when you come to Christ, you're no longer orphaned. I know that that may not sound popular. Everybody wants to believe that. Everybody's going to heaven. This is not a universalist church, and I'm not a universalist pastor. The Bible makes it clear that the people that do a whole, I can show you multiple cases, Revelations and Romans that do a whole slew of things will not enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. But once you come to Jesus, you have the right to become a son. And now you get in a process, but you need to understand your only right that you get is sonship. That's why lordship is key to everything. Lordship is key. Now I'll go back to the verse. So you have to receive. Everybody say Receive and believe now believe is more than i know i got friends all the time that i know i am in the biker world i minister to motorcycle bikers i have old friends that don't know the lord people that i meet at the coffee shop people that i see in the world and it's kind of like this a lot of people say they believe while they're toking it up drinking and going to hook up at the clubs and the bars and sleeping around and have zero zero conviction but yet they think they got a passport stamp to heaven just because they believe I have outlaw biker friends and many other people that say, well, I believe in him. But yet they keep doing what they're doing and living the way that they want to live. When you study out this word believe, here's what believe means. It means to believe, agree, accept, and to fully adhere to what I'm believing in. And so to believe is a lot more than that's a cool chair. It's like, man, I love this chair. Wow, it's so comfortable. Oh, I love the fabric. I really, what kind of? What is that? What's the purpose of this chair? I want to take this chair home with me. I'm just using the chair as an example. It may sound silly, but the point is, is that to, to receive and to believe means to become a disciple, and it means to fully have lordship in your life. And when you, be, when you make that decision, guess what he does? Go back a verse. Guess what he does? He gives you the right to become the children of God, and actually the word right in the King James Version, this word right is the same word for power. And that word is exousia. And it means that he gives you delegated authority, he gives you jurisdiction, he gives you power, and he gives you the ability to work miracles and to take authority over any situation. And that is only given to those that are sons and daughters. Okay? Okay. So it's not like, oh man, yeah, I believe, pow, I got all the influence, I'm all ready to rock and roll, <sighs> oh yeah, drink it up, I'm not a disciple. It means that I've laid my life down for lordship and now I have the spirit of, of Christ living inside of me and now I'm a son. And so then what happens, is you go from a sinner to a saint, a saint to a son, and a son to a worker and a leader. You understand? That's why here we don't, we're not just quick to promote anybody. We discover who you are, and in turn, we put you in a place that's your nature, or you, you discover, and I said, you find something you want to do. Our church is growing. We have tons of people. We have tons of opportunity. Where do you want to get involved in? Pray, children's ministry, sound booth, ushering, greeters, but find what your nature is, or get involved in something to discover, and if it's not working, go try something else instead of you getting fired and feeling like a failure. Sonship and identity is the most important thing. And some of you have never, ever heard that. You've gone through the religious motions all your life. You were raised in an institutionalized church, and you've never heard the Lord tell you because the next verse says flesh and blood can't reveal it to you. It's not by the will of God. It only comes by you hearing it for yourself. And Jesus would have to hear it and discover it for himself. And then finally, at 30, he's confident God's been speaking to him his whole life, he gets commissioned, now it's rock and roll time. Can you imagine if John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God, he goes, whoa, me? Little old me, oh come on, stop joking, I'm not the Messiah. No, when John the Baptist declared, he went, this is the time, I'm confident in who I am, I'm the son of God. This is who I am. God has revealed to me by his spirit. I know that I am, and now I know my purpose because it's written about me all the way since the time of Moses and the prophets, and I've been studying it my whole life. It's time for each of you to get that identity. If you don't have it, we're not passing the blame on our parents. We're not even going to pass the blame on institutionalized church. But what we are going to do is we're going to break the cycle of dysfunction And you're going to learn to have delight. You are his beloved children in whom He is is his delight. Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up!